Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. My marriage fell apart. You know, my I wasn't a great parent. The business was always up and down. I was looking at bankruptcy like nine months in and somehow got through it. But I was always on the bubble for like six years on the bubble of this business of almost losing it, keeping it around. Somehow it works out like payroll, everything. And in that process, man, lost the marriage, lost all that. I was living in a 500 square foot studio apartment behind the house of one of my front desk or one of my trainer's girlfriends. Very weird, you know, power dynamic. At work, I'm the, I'm the boss, but at, at the house, like him and her, the boss, you know, and it was like my kids slept on an air mattress next to my bed. It was a very different experience of life that I ever thought I'd be in. I didn't really like myself too much, man, to be honest. I wasn't a fan of, of Anthony, oddly. So the big questions are these. How can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Song, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I am super excited today to have Anthony Trucks with me. I actually was on his podcast and that's how we met. And I was so fascinated by him and what he teaches and his methodology and his background that I just was like, I have to share him with with, with you guys. Uh, so he's a former NFL athlete, American ninja warrior, an NBC international speaker, host of the Oz. Shift podcast, definitely check it out. Uh, really interesting life. He was in foster care at three years old. He was an adopted into an all-white family when he was 14. He lost his NFL career to injury, and he's really learned how to make shift happen, and that's what he teaches people how to do, and that's what we're going to be talking about today on this episode. So welcome, Anthony. So glad you're here. Hey, thank you for having me. So loving, loving, loving your story. Tell us more about that. Tell us about foster care, how you ended up there, what it was like, the yeah, whole yeah. thing. Of course. It's, I mean, it's kind of weird, right? Um, I guess the, the end of the day, there's going to be things that I know people are going to hear and be like, ah, I can't resonate with that, but I will connect the dots so you can understand the feeling of it. So I was given away at three years old. My mom pretty much said, hey, uh, me you know, and my other three kids, I don't want you guys so put it into a system that was, it's very, um, it's not really monitored as well as it should be. And the people that are in there, they're not the greatest humans. They've done some things and make it better, but it still has a little bit of funk to it. It just unfortunately does. So my first years of life were just really not feeling like I mattered, being starved and tortured and beaten by strangers oh in different God. houses. And around. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. I'm not gonna, there's no way to take that off. It's a difficult environment. However... You kind of learn to survive, man. It's like a sink or swim type situation. And I'm given a lot of situations and moments to develop a lot of intangible tools. And so like I have an ability now to to navigate uh, other people's like emotions more than I than most people can. Or I'm able to, to read human beings better because it was a survival tool back then, right? So there's some assets that came out of it. And for me, like that upbringing, as much as I, I don't like it, I wouldn't say I like it, right? 
I do have a great appreciation for it. The things I learned about life and humanity that I wasn't even aware I was learning at the time have served me amazingly now as an adult in my chosen venture of life, we'll call it, because I get to reflect on a lot of things that my brain just turned on early. So I've spent more time, I think, in conscious, we'll call just viewing and, 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 and kind of um, maybe more understanding on purpose, right? So some people, they're awake and they're wow, but they're not really consistently trying to make sense of the world around them. So that's my brain turned on. I've been trying to make sense of life for a long time. So I, I am told I have like a lot of, uh, I have an old soul and I don't know if old soul is anything more than just like, you know what, I have some wisdom because I have been able to study the experience of my life. Some people experience things, but never study it. They just let it happen. That's what took place. You ask them about it. Oh, I don't know. Whereas for me, I'm like, oh no, this took place. Here's what I learned about it. I spent time in thought. And so I, I'm, I'm constantly trying to learn from this, this class we call life. Uh, I love that. I love that. I, I mean, I always say like, Crap happens to everybody. Uh, you know, you don't escape that as a human being. We all have debris that gets hurled at us. And if we don't find a way to have a lesson from it, then it's just crap that happened to us. And that's just yeah, totally unacceptable, right? Yeah. I mean, and so... I'm so reminded because I followed a lot of Wayne Dyer, you know, before he died, of course. And then, you know, even still, sometimes I go back to his teachings and he also spent time in foster care, a lot of his childhood. And he wrote a book, like, I think it was his last book, actually, and it was called I Can See Clearly Now. And he actually took each chapter of his, of that book was a, Thing that happened to him that he can, can see clearly now was a pivotal moment in his life or something that he really learned from and something mm-hmm. that really changed the trajectory of his life. And at the time, it really, really sucked. But looking back, he's like, okay, I can see clearly now that that was something I needed to go through. And I was yeah. able to, and if that didn't happen, you know, and it seems like that's kind of what you're doing. You know, you're taking every single one of those horrible things that happened to you and turned it into something that you could learn from, something that was good. Perspective, yeah. It's always a perspective. I tell people perspective precedes enlightenment. So everything is a matter of how do you see the world? Because the world is giving us, like if we think about exercising, lifting weights, if I lift weights that are heavy, I get strong. And if I'm strong, I can actually lift more weights and heavier weights. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't lift the weights of life. They leave the weight room of life. They leave the problem, avoid the situation. They never get stronger. And all I did is said, okay, let me, let me stay under the weight. Let me figure out what happened. Why did this go wrong? So I get stronger. So that problem would occur similarly at a different capacity. It's much lighter to me. And I can handle it and go to the next problems that are actually the ones that I can actually overcome that solve the things that, you know, may hold me from the income, the marriage, the happiness, the joy. So all I did is said, let me take a new perspective on everything that happened, which is lifting that weight so I can be stronger when I need that strength later. Mm, so good, so good. So so I'm curious to know, how did you end up being adopted? How, you know, how did that all come about when you were 14? Uh, well, I ended up in a house. That's my family now. I just, you know, they, they pass you around when you're in that system. I don't know why, the rhyme or reason. You don't know where you're going or why. And next thing you know, you're just at a new place. And so one of the house I ended up was the one, it's my family, you know, all white family, only me, little, little black kid, very poor growing up. And so... Essentially, I had to navigate this this whole weird pitfall of a world, and I did so. And in doing so, like it landed me in this family that uh, that raised me and eventually adopted me at the age of fourteen. So I spent eleven years in the system, eight years with this family, 
And it was a long eight years, man. Because when you're in that family, you're in foster care, you still have a biological mom. Like you have people that have called parental rights, which means although they don't live there, they have a say over what I can and can't do. So I wasn't allowed to play sports. I couldn't take trips. She was just spiteful. So it wouldn't let me do much. And so, yeah, I was in a really weird, like I was in a household with two sets of rules. You know, the one that I lived with and the person that was outside the home who had the, the final say in an odd way. And so, yeah, it was, it was interesting eight years, but eventually was adopted and was the first time at 14 that I knew this pillow that I woke up on, I for sure get to go to sleep on tonight. So how old were you when you first uh, ended up with the family that is now your family? I was six at that time. After, so I got three years of different houses, six years old, landed at this house. Oh, okay. So good. At least you were with this family since you were six, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> I good. I for so- six years old. It was just a lot of... The first foster dad in the house is a drunk. He used to beat my mom and beat me. There was a lot. It was a... I wouldn't say that we were like this pretty picket fence family by any means. Like, I, oh, my I mom see. had my brother when she was 14. So we're like in this... It's like a weird dynamic of a oh, household. His dad was gone. My, my mom had, had two more kids with her current husband. She divorced him, had two more kids. So I'm one of six... And there's like four wow. last names in our family. There's oh my goodness. Hart, Trucks, Costa, and Worthen. Like we, it's a very interesting family. We've got a little dynamic there. Amazing. And, and, and what about your other three biological siblings? Are you still in touch uh, with them? I am no? still in touch. They're, they're kind of nomadic. Well, somewhat. One sister lives in San Diego. One brother lives kind of in New Mexico, area. One sister lives in Minnesota. And we're, we're in touch, but unfortunately, we're not as close as I'd like. I think because we grew up separately, there's that, that bond that wasn't created the same way, sure, right? There's the that connection, but not the bond is the best way to explain it. Love them, love them to death, but it's, it's different. It just is, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. And so you end up playing football. Did you start playing football in, in high school? Uh, 14 years old, the year right before high school, because I wasn't allowed to play. My real mom wouldn't let me play. So my biological mom was like, hey, uh, no, no sports, no football. And then when I got adopted, I could finally play football. Okay. So you start playing football, you play through high school, and then you go to college um, playing football, I'm assuming? Yep, go to college on a football scholarship, which beat a lot of odds because I, if I didn't go, I'm the only kid in the, all six of us to actually graduate with a diploma from the high school, not continuation school, not GED. So yeah, most definitely I'm the oddball there. I only want to go to college and like all my my family, between my my mom and her siblings, like so my aunts and uncles, all the all the kids, I'm the only one with a college degree. So like, wow. I, I'm the, where did you go? I went to the University of Oregon. I'm a duck. Doc, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and good football team, great football team. And yeah, so from there team. you get drafted to what team on the NFL? You didn't get drafted. I was what's called a priority free agent. So I, I, I was told I'd be drafted in like the fifth round, sixth round, just did, never got the call. And then the moment the draft closed, within 15 minutes, I was signed with the Buccaneers. So I ended up playing with the Buccaneers. Ah, fresh out in Tampa, in Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I, I spent a lot of time in Florida. I lived there for about 20 years. So I'm very yeah, familiar. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. And then you get injured. Yeah. My third so, year. So I played with the Buccaneers, then got cut, got picked up by the Redskins, got cut, and then got picked up by the Steelers, tore my shoulder. And then that was the end of that season and eventually essentially the end of my career. Oh, 
Wow. Okay. I grew up in DC. I'm still a Redskins fan, but we don't yeah. call them that anymore. We're Washington Redskins fan. Washington football team. It's weird. I, so technically, I was a Redskin. I've never been a Washington football player. I know. I, I still have to say Redskins. I mean, just because that's, you know, that's what, what you I know grew up that. with that's them good. is knowing. But um, okay. So you get hurt. It's like, how do you feel at that point? Like it's the end of your world? You know what's funny is is you get hurt. It's part of the game. I'd already torn my other shoulder in college. I'd broken wrist. So injury is part of the game. In your head, it's not the end. It's just like I got to I got to recover, rehab, da 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 da. But then when you find out it's the end, that is a blow. Because at one point I had I realized like I'd done some workouts with like different teams and the Buffalo Bills. I did a workout. They're like, hey, we want to sign you. My agent calls me says, hey, the Buffalo Bills want to sign you, but they want to put a waiver on your shoulder. Like we mean a waiver. He says, well, what it means is if something happens to your shoulder, the NFL or the team, neither are liable. You are. So if you take this contract and hurt your shoulder, you're screwed. No one's going to pay care of paying for the, the recovery. No one's going to pay for surgery or anything. He says the, the tough part about this is essentially if you have some kind of like disability, like, you know, that, that, that happens because of this, you really get hurt. You're kind of screwed because most insurance are not going to take work injuries, like, you know, pre-existing injuries. They don't take them. So he's like, you got to make a really tough choice. He's like, because if you do this, you could be disabled for life and your kid's going to have the same kind of dad. Or you just realize that every contract from here on is going to be like this and you choose to hang it up. And, mm. I, and, I, and I said, what would you do? And he says, to be honest, I would not jeopardize the family. He says, I'd hang it up. So made the choice to hang the jersey up, dude. And it was... It was a tough one. That is a very hard choice to give up something that you've been doing for, you know, you're, you're pretty much, the, it was there when I grew up as a 14-year-old boy to a, a man with three children now. That's tough to hang up, you know, like marriage, everything happened. So it ripped out what I believed was me. That's the best way to explain uh... it. It's like when a guy leaves the military, a girl leaves the military, you lose your job, you retire, you lose a relationship when you've given something so much of you and then it's ripped away from you without you wanting to let it go, or even if you choose to walk away from it, it leaves this ma massive hole. And that's what I had was a massive hole. Wow. What a powerful statement. It ripped out what I believed was me. I'm, so, I'm sure so many people can relate to that statement, maybe not as an NFL player, but in many different ways in their lives, right? Because yeah. you didn't really have a plan B probably. No, you don't, you don't, you have a thought of what you might do, but you don't know. I mean, there's people that are adults now, you know, 40 years old that don't know what they're doing. So, you know, a 25 year old kid who's never been in an actual work world. I've never been in the real world before. I had no plan. You know, I, I had nobody that I even had in my circle that was going to give me advice or guidance. I was the only one to go to college and play at this level. Like it was, it was a very lonely island, you know, and then you talk to teammates and this other guy's kind of doing it, but they're dealing with different stuff too. So it's, it's a very, um, it's a very like stark reality when it all hits you of what your life is about to look like, and it, it gets dark quick. Wow! So what happened? What did you do? Uh, I, I tried. How did to you find shift? I, that's the question, I guess. How, How did, did I you shift? shift? I didn't shift then. This was two thousand and eight. It took another uh, eight years. <laughs> and I think about it. I've never said it like that. I realize there's a lot of stuff that happened in between. But man, like my marriage fell apart. You know, my I wasn't a great parent. The business was always up and down. I was looking at bankruptcy like nine months in and somehow got through it. But I was always on the bubble for like six years on the bubble of this business of almost losing it, keeping it around. Somehow it works out like payroll, everything. 
And in that process, man, lost the marriage, lost all that. I was living in a 500 square foot studio apartment behind the house of one of my front desk or one of my trainer's girlfriends. Very weird, you know, power dynamic. At work, I'm the, I'm the boss, but at, at the house, like him and her, the boss. You know, and I was like, my kids slept on an air mattress next to my bed. It was a very different experience of life that I ever thought I'd be in. I didn't really like myself too much, man, to be honest. I wasn't a fan of, of Anthony, oddly. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. I realized I was still not in love with myself, burning through my money, just doing my thing. And I had this moment of like, I don't like me. And this is where the shift took place. I remember looking in the mirror one day on New Year's Eve day and like, I don't like this guy. I, don't want my, I would never want my daughter to be with a guy like me. I'd never want my sons to be like me. I would not want you know my God to see me because he wouldn't let me into heaven. My mom would be pissed looking at this guy. It's like something's got to change. And I realized that I was the common denominator in all my problems. When it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse, there is no compromise. Take back power, strength, and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety. Soberlink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they are not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. Soberlink's real-time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges can rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court-admissible evidence of sobriety, and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. Get an exclusive $50 off your device by emailing info at soberlink.com and mentioning Negotiate Your Best Life podcast. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation cheat sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. You know, your environment is stronger than your willpower. So what happens is if we're trying to change who we are and our belief system and maybe our health habits and maybe our working habits and what we think is possible for us, it's almost going to be impossible doing that in the current environment if the current environment doesn't change. And now we return to today's show. And uh, went through that whole journey of up and down. And then unfortunately, in, in 2014, April 15th, I lost my mom. When I was 14 years old, she'd been diagnosed with MS. And Is she this had a your adoptive mom or the my one? Adoptive mom. Yeah, okay. my adoptive mom. And, and when she passed away, like I had this really interesting conversation with self and one with her before she passed of the reality of what I've been able to accomplish past what statistically I should have been and how much of, of her as a human showing up Responsible for that taking place. And I made two promises. One promise was, I'm going to figure my life out again. I somehow got to figure this thing. I can't keep doing this. And then two, when I do, I'm going to help people do the same. I didn't know how I was going to do it, to be honest. There wasn't even, I wasn't, I didn't know the speaking world existed. I knew none of this. I, at the time, was a gym owner. I was like, I'm a gym owner. I'm going to get people in shape and help them make their lives better. 
And what ended up happening was, you know, God put some interesting things in my life. I got this massive contract for a quarter million dollars, which was 220000 in profit from a large company I was consulting for. My gym lease was up, so I didn't have to renew the lease. I happened across this world like two months later in June of speaking and coaching. So I'm like, man, I, maybe I go out in the world and I tell my story and I find a way to get my life on track while teaching. Now, that's not the best recipe for success. You don't, you don't teach what you're still learning. You know what I mean? Like it's not the best, the most ideal. So it took me two more years before I finally woke up and like not loved. I realized I was still not in love with myself, burning through my money, just doing my thing. And I had this moment of like, I don't like me. And this mm. is where the shift took place. I remember looking in the mirror one day on New Year's Eve day and like, I don't like this guy. I don't. I would never want my daughter to be with a guy like me. I'd never want my sons to be like me. I would not want you know my God to see me because he wouldn't let me into heaven. My mom would be pissed looking at this guy. I was like, something's got to change. And I realized that I was the common denominator in all my problems. Me. Mm. I was the one experiencing them all. So if I'm mm. the common denominator, what if I look at me and I shift something? Now, shift wasn't the idea. It was like change. What if I change something? And I, I don't have... I don't think a person has to change consistently and completely because who I am in my core... I'm kind of the same guy I was in high school, to be quite honest. But there's certain parts of how I operate and how I show up and what I have integrity in and what I, what I fight for that are vastly different as a human. And that's more of the shift. You make that one degree shift that changes everything around you. And so that was where it took place. And I started doing things where I, I cut off women because I didn't want to spend time just, you know, like running around doing dumb stuff, you know, with multiple partners. I, I cut off certain friends that weren't serving me. I started taking up new, new, new hobbies of reading and, and going and hiking. Like I, just, I started doing things. Now, at the time, it was very unintentional. I didn't know really what I was building. And I think people do that sometimes to start doing things without really realizing what we're doing. Since then, I've made a lot of different adjustments to my shifts because I'm like, I don't know if that's the path to go on. So I've made some adjustments. But fast forward 10 months from that moment in New Year's Day in the 2016, I got back at my ex-wife after three years divorce. We have an amazing marriage now kids have a present father. I've been able to figure out like not only my, my craziness, but how to solve that problem for myself and people. And so now when I work with individuals, I'm helping them make those shifts in their life. And it could be everything from, I want to shift to make more money in my business. Great. We go and look at the strategy of the business and the strategy of them. Or I'm like, Hey, I want to, I want to be a better man so I can actually maybe get a great relationship. Phenomenal. Let's take a look at what that identity looks like to do that. Let's see how we shift to that. So I go and I use what's called a shift method to plot this course and set action towards it. It's pretty simple. It's a lot of depth, but that's the simple way to look at it. And in doing so, man, I've been able to, to make good on promise one. Like I was able to get to the point of like being great in my own life. I'm, I'm happy, healthy. So I made promise one, my mom, good. Now I'm, I'm doing promise two and I've been doing it for Shoot, man, since 2016, now we're going on five years, like really, really digging into doing it. But so I, I, I just want to, I want to point something out yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're saying it without, um, you haven't, you haven't said it exactly in this way, but I've always said that there is a redemptive power in just making a choice. Oh, hell yeah. I fully like, agree. Made a literally. You just made a decision. You literally just decided that this isn't going to be me anymore. I'm going to do it differently. I'm. Yeah. This is not my story. Like in that moment that you made that decision, that's when you were able to 
you know, I, I mean, I honestly believe the universe just starts to go, okay, this is the direction we're going and everything starts to line up for you in that way. But you have to start by making that decision. Yeah, and it is hard though. I mean, because you're pretty much saying, I'm going to go out and do things against what my words have said to certain people, you know, how I may not be accepted by certain people. And in doing so, you have to like, realize you're going to have to like kill off that old person. Like the cost of a new life is your old one. It just is what it is. It's yeah, I, I always found it really interesting that the word decide actually has side as part of it, yeah. which in Latin means to kill. Yeah. So you actually are killing off the other side. Yeah, it's hundred percent. And people, that's a fearful, scary thing to do. And I like I it's funny at the time I didn't think I was doing that. I was just tired of what I was doing. It was a, I was fed up, you know. People are like, well, what was the thing? I was just fed up with living what I was living. I didn't I didn't feel good inside. And if you can give yourself permission, which is what you pretty much are saying, decide. One part of it's a choice to do that. The other one's giving yourself, before that even happens, giving yourself permission to improve. Because most people, they'll see it and they'll tuck it away. I don't want anybody to see that. They don't give themselves permission to feel it, to own it, to accept it. Therefore, they never make that choice. They don't decide. And that part of their life stays there. Yeah, but you also have to, in some place in your in in your psyche, have to feel like you're worthy of that. Have to feel like because I think sometimes people they get stuck in these places because they don't feel like they're good enough on some subconscious level to have a good relationship, to have a good life, to have money, to have be a good spouse. Yeah, especially if you've done crazy thing. If you've done some things that are difficult, it's even harder. But I, I unfortunately don't think that, that that worthiness exists inside of a lot of people who start the process. I think that there's there's some inherent belief that um, you know, if I just do things, it'll just work out. So this, I just know this is right. I don't know why I'm just gonna do it. And and we'll step into those things. The crazy thing is is doing the action and seeing the outcome creates that sense of confidence and worthiness. And I think we need, if we don't know it's there, we need to realize it can be there by simply doing the thing. That's all it is. It's not, it's not a matter of starting out saying, I am worthy of a great relationship, therefore I'm going to go fight for it. Because the fight's going to die if you don't believe you're worthy, right? So it's like a weird oxymoron. But here's what I do believe. If you take that small step, when you don't feel worthy, when you don't feel confident, that creates an outcome that gives you worthiness, or, or an outcome that feels confidence because it's, it's an investment bias. If I invest in something, I want to return, right? Money, I give investment, I want to return. As humans, the investment towards a direction, the return is confidence, self-esteem, joy, worthiness. And mm. if you sit back and wait for that bank to fill up without putting money into it, you're sadly mistaken. You got to go and make that investment. And a lot of it's going to be an unconfident, unworthy action that returns a sense of worthiness and confidence. Oh, that is so true and so good. And I mean, honestly, I mean, I remember when I started my law practice and I went out on my own and I had taken over, a friend of mine had a few, like a handful of clients and she was moving. And so I took over her clients and I remember saying to my best friend, I, I, I'm so afraid that I'm going to finish off her clients and then never get one of my own. And I'm like, I signed this lease and I, I got a paralegal and all this stuff and like, what's going to happen? And she goes, Oh, that's not going to happen. Your problem's going to be that you have too many clients. And I was like, I don't know. I hope so. You know, and, and so the, I just did it. And, a, and I remember meeting with my first client of my own going, okay, look, I got one, you know, and then, it, uh, you know, thousands of clients later, oh, yeah. I do feel 
so much better. I mean, and I don't even have to practice anymore because I'm doing just who you are. Because I'm doing other things, bigger things, better things, you know, more. I'm helping more people around the globe, you know. And so, but it does. It's exactly like what you said. I had to just take that step and you know, I, I, there's a saying like leap and the net will appear. And, and I definitely yeah. think that's so true. And what it is, you just described what, what a shift. If I was to ask you how much of that person still exists in you, you'd be like, not much. Oh, the person before of yeah. like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid I'll never have a client or whatever. Doesn't oh, even exist. Doesn't exist. Right? In, in fact, I'm a hundred percent certain that if I stopped doing all my YouTube stuff and stopped training people around the globe on negotiations and stopped doing all the things that I'm doing now and just said, all I'm going to do is practice law, I would sit down in my chair and within a week, I would have too many clients. That is something I am certain of. Now that's a complete different identity, right? And and what's crazy is you just described it. You started, you did the actions over time, you start becoming that human. I tell people what you create, creates you. Your process of creating this life, no matter what the actions were, created this person you are and you can't go backwards now. Like it's just who you are now. That's the secret. That's it. There's not magic. That, that is really it. There's a lot that goes into making that happen, but that's the beauty of the whole thing. The make it's so true. It's so true. You could never go back. I mean, I, I think of it as like, remember how in, in, in the story, Alice in Wonderland, when she ate the one pill, she was like way too big for the house and her arms mm-hmm. and legs were coming out of the house, you yes. know, like that house doesn't fit you anymore. Yeah. You know, you're expanding, you're growing and you, you know, you don't even feel it until you look back and you go, Wow, look Different. look at what I've done. Look at what I've been able to accomplish, right? What's crazy is I just finished my book and I have a quote by Lewis Carroll in there, which is from the Alice in Wonderland. And it says, when she came back from Wonderland, somebody says, what happened? And she goes, there's like, there's no need even going back there because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the same person anymore. Like it literally is like, she's like, I, there's no need to go back and think about that person because that's not who I am now. Three days, two or three days, right? And with the, I, I realize in that moment, reading that, I'm like, because it's it's a matter of how those actions happen in your life and what took place, and how you responded to them that created this that, this new person. So it's funny because this happens to us all day, every day, but we're doing it unintentionally. We're riding the wave, and you don't realize that you can get a surfboard and control it much better. So when you do what you did, and you realize, okay, I've outgrown this house, right? And you choose, like, okay, I want to be this person. It's just choosing to get a, a surfboard instead of just floating in the wave with nothing. Yeah, I love that. That's so beautiful. I didn't even know that you had the Alice in Wonderland quote in your book. How about that? Like, hey, you know, just uh, synchronicity going on over here. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So when does your book come out? September. I don't have a specific date, but it comes out in September of this year. Uh, we'll have to have you back on to help I'm you promote on. your book. Count me on. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, de- we'll definitely help you promote it. So tell me, tell us about the shift method. We haven't even gotten there yet, and we need to hear uh, about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, well, we don't have a bunch of time. I got to. We got both got to jump in a moment. Um, but the shift method was created out of a couple of things. One was my life experience. What did I go through? And I went back and researched all of it and looked back through it. Then I said, okay, let me take a look at psychology. How does psychology match and merge to make this thing actually be real? And then I looked at neuroscience and how do we actually look, look at neuroplasticity and what do I do to reprogram and honestly rewire the brain? And I developed a really cool process that anybody can walk through from any walk of life that can read and walk and talk or write. Or if you have a brain, you can communicate. It'll work for you. And it walks you through the process of seeing yourself, who you are right now, 
creating what's called an ideal identity, and then charting the path to actually get there, and then walking the path to make the shift. It's tried and true. It's like bulletproof at this point because I've done it so many times. But it's awesome, man. People come out of it with a whole new like sense of self and brand new accomplishments. So they make money. They get healthier. They are happier. And it's not just they have these things, but they are the person who has those things. So is this something that you um, do one-on-one with people or is there a course? Tell us how they Yeah, we have four different levels. So one is a membership, which is actually use some of our tools. We have something called the Shift in Three tool. It's a rhythm reset technology. It's a way that I look at identities like a rhythm for our life. So the tool, we have a called Shift Starter, which is a program that has individuals who are desiring to start this whole process, figure out my limiting beliefs, what's been keeping me stuck, find out how to be able to get a really clear vision and honestly get rid of the limiting beliefs and move forwards. Uh, and then we have a called the incubator, which is mostly for individuals who are like entrepreneurial. So it's an incubator program that's, we're going to give you the structure of a business that you may need. The missing pieces that most people don't have is a method, a process, a foundation, any kind of business system. So we teach that to you while implementing them, the, the shift method. So you become a new person while building that business because you can't grow your business more than you grow yourself. Then have a mastermind. And then I don't do one-on-one often, but we do have one-on-one options. Oh, I love that. So how can people find out about you, get started, follow you? Where, where, where Just, can they uh, find you? If you go to my Instagram, at Anthony Trucks, and, and DM me the word shift, it's simple. I don't make it complicated. Then I start a conversation with you. I kind of see where the best fit is, and we kind of hopefully see if it works and push that direction. Love it. Go check him out on Instagram and DM him the word shift and get started. Go follow him. Check out his stuff. Listen to his podcast. Definitely subscribe, rate it, write a review for him and um, go check him out so you can start shifting in your life. Thank you so much, Anthony, for being here. Great. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Check back next Monday for more inspirational pearls of wisdom. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, I'd love if you would give it a five-star rating and tell me what you liked in a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to grab your winning negotiation cheat sheet at winmynegotiation.com. And remember, today is a perfect day to start negotiating your best life.